What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 137 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer the question first. Not answering the question. I really hope people didn't tune in here us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. You can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, do some follow-up, go over the news, and then dissect the vegan reaction to Anthony Bourdain's death. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Not a we, not a lighthearted episode by any means. Definitely not. And it actually came up, I feel like, Andy, from like three different, like I had someone mention to me like, hey, are you going to talk about this on the episode? I know you had someone mention to you and, and we have this, the, an email as well. So it's like a bunch of different ways that, uh, a bunch of different people wanting us to talk about this thing. So here we are. Here we are. <laughs> what the people demand. Paul, I, I don't know if my voice sounds different to you. We are actually recording significantly later than we normally do because I had to push it off due to near-death <laughs> symptoms and a nonstop cough that would have made editing horrible, mm-hmm. let alone subjecting people to my sick voice. People got my morning <laughs> voice recently, which I think is a top-notch voice of mine, but sick voice... <laughs> Not so much. So if people hear a little bit of stuffiness in my voice, that is it. Thank you for bearing with us. You sound beautiful, Andy. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. (laughs) So before we talk about food, a couple of announcements. Of course, we have the mailbag coming up. We want your listener questions, comments, and concerns to be answered, quote unquote, live on the podcast. And no question is too big, too small. Any size is fine. Any any topic, any amount of mundane or seriousness, we want to hear everything that all you wonderful beardos have to say. Well, you know what, Andy? Maybe it will be answered live on the podcast because <laughs> if you send in a particularly thought-provoking or discussion-invoking question, maybe we'll use it at our live episode, which is coming up at the Atlantic City Vegan Food Festival on July 14th. Paul, that is such an amazing transition. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, really excited for that. We'll put a link to the event in our show notes. and We'll, we'll post about it on the Facebook and all that good stuff. But wanted to give people a heads up because it is less than a month away now. I'm super excited about it, Andy. We should probably start planning it. Yeah. <laughs> so send in a good email, someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Andy, what have you been eating? Well, Paul, you know, I went down to Asheville, and I have a couple of favorites down there, and it's really hard to pry me away from them. So I don't think it would be super interesting for me to go over everything that I ate yet again. Uh, I will say returned to plant with a, a bunch of amazing people and had a fantastic meal yet again. I know we've gushed about them at least once or twice in the podcast <laughs> before, so I'll spare everyone. The one thing that I ate at the Asheville Vegan Fest, which was a, a really cool three-day event this year was from Crazy Jack. Don't love the name, but I did love their corn dog that they were selling. It was one hell of a corn dog, and I returned to get two of them at the end of the event. Corn dog, great food to eat while you're packing up. (laughs) Just take a bite, put it down, no problem. (laughs) 
but it was super delicious. And I need to thank all of the the multitude of Asheville beardos that stopped by the table. Uh, apologies for any mispronunciations. I feel like there might be a few coming, but thank you to Dees or Dees, Blue, Casey, Sierra, Maya, Lorelai, Craig, Sarah, Topher, Indy, Thomas, Jones, and Tilden for stopping Dang. by. That was a yeah. lot. Whole lot of beardos down in Asheville. They really got a nice vegan scene going on down there. Nice. And I will say I have revisited the brand Plant Snacks, who had the the vegan goat cheese chips that was causing all the controversy and i tried their their vegan cheddar cassava root chips and i have to say they were quite delightful and i will continue to purchase snacks from plant snacks very nice very nice what's going on with you paul you did a veg fest too i did do a veg fest i did i did the philly veg fest and actually andy when this episode is released i will have three more days in philadelphia and then i'm moving out of philly where are you going temporarily back to connecticut for a month and then to delaware I'm sorry, is, do you mean Stellarware? <laughs> Almost rhymes. Stellarware. <laughs> so, yeah, you can imagine I'll be shoveling in as much Dottie's Grindcore Tasty Blackbird and Kettle Black into my mouth as possible in these last three days. But at the Philly Veg Fest, I also met a few beardos. Andy, I ran into Carrie. Ryan, who is wearing the OG... Compassion Co. shirt, the It's Okay to Give an F shirt. Great. That's great, exactly great how it's one. spelled. <laughs> Larry and his son Sam, Gloria, Jeremy, and Rachel. So thank you all for stopping by. So many beardos this weekend. I know. It was a fun little event. Yeah, it was a good time. All right, let's move on into some follow-up. Paul, you know, over the course of two different episodes, we talked pretty extensively about this campaign that's going on in Canada called Evolve Our Prison Farms. A campaign Yeah. Why don't you wait in the car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and essentially what this campaign was about is that prison farms were sort of being reinstated in certain um, prisons in Canada, and there was a campaign to get them to switch from being animal-based agriculture to plant-based agriculture, or even possibly animal sanctuaries. And we had some significant concerns about the campaign because it sort of came across as really just sort of ignoring the needs of the prisoners. And it just felt like this, this thing where it was like systematic oppression under the, the prison industrial complex is fine as long as it's plant-based agriculture. And, and so we had some issues with that. And that's you know a very basic summary of it. I would suggest going and searching through the archives to find them. <laughs> I cannot remember the names of the episodes at this point, Paul. It's because I'm sick. I'm going to chalk it up to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we actually received an email, uh, several emails from Calvin Newfeld, who is the the organizer of this whole campaign. It's just him and his mom doing this whole thing. And we communicated with Calvin back and forth about our concerns, and Calvin sort of clarified some things for us, and we essentially said that we appreciated the email and we wish that his clarifications were present on the website and it made it a lot more clear that they weren't necessarily in favor of prison labor, but they're sort of working within the system and, and they, they use the language of, you know, that it, switching to plant-based agriculture would mean that it's not exploiting anyone, but we had found some articles that were talking about, you know, the exploitive prison industrial, like, work labor system that's happening up there and how that would still play into it and, and all of that stuff. So uh, through our communications with Calvin, he decided to get a jump on 
sort of reformatting their website and also clarifying their mission and, and, and how they want to operate this whole thing. And we recently received an email from him that I thought would be great to read on the air. So here we go. Hi, Paul and Andy. I just wanted to thank you for our earlier discussions about the prison farm situation in Canada and our campaign for plant-based agriculture and sanctuary in lieu of the prison goat dairy program our government is implementing. You helped underscore our need for crystal clarity and communication, what our campaign is about. We have just launched a new professional website. I believe this will make a huge difference. Seriously, thank you guys. You got us to move quickly on that. Also, I have continued to consider your concerns about the treatment of prisoners who do or don't participate in the program. It is voluntary with a small amount of pay and CORCAN, which is sort of the, the big overseeing uh, entity that in, that's involved with all of the, uh, the prison farms and prison labor and all that, is very clear about not coercing prisoner participation. However, we are keenly sensitive to this concern since any correctional environment comes with the risk of a subtle or indirect form of consequence for prisoners who are seen as going against a program. And we are, in fact, encouraging prisoner non-participation until it is a program that does not exploit anybody. We want to protect prisoners. We don't want our actions to have any negative consequences for them. So it's a balancing act given that a prison, dairy, and slaughterhouse operation is sure to have negative consequences for prisoners. I have had more conversations with prisoners and friends of prisoners. The whole thing is very messy and ethically murky. This only drives us all the more passionately to bring about change that will radically alter a system that is guilty of the confinement and commodification of both humans and non-human animals. Hope you like our new website, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but it's evolveourprisonfarms.ca. Cheers, Calvin Newfeld. And so I did. I went and checked out the website, and as soon as you enter it, Right away, it says prisoner justice, animal justice, and there's a like a disclaimer sort of at the bottom of every page that says, Evolve Our Prison Farms in no way supports prison labor except as a voluntary program relating directly and ethically to rehabilitation and reintegration. Uh, Paul, how do you feel about this? It feels good. I feel like it's much more, it's much clearer. The website itself just looks great as it is anyways. It's a, it's a magnificently designed website, but I'm glad that a lot of this stuff is clarified and I, I think like people going to it for the first time now will hopefully have a lot of those questions answered that we had the first time that we went to the website, which I think is very good. Yeah. I think that, you know, some of my reservations still exist because it's, it's, it almost, I don't want to ever be conceived as like supporting the the prison system necessarily, especially like the prison labor system. But I think that as far as a campaign goes, it's trying to deal with the nuances that Calvin gets at in that email. That's like, we don't want to exploit prisoners, but obviously if the current system remains in place, if they continue to implement animal-based agriculture, that is clearly exploitive of the prisoners. So Mm -hmm. how do we deal with that? How do we continue to evolve with the needs of the inmates? And I thought that um, it was a very thoughtful response from Calvin. I thought it was really it was really nice to see someone that was sort of re- responding to these criticisms in a, in a productive way. And I would say I would recommend that people go to the website and decide for themselves that this is something they want to support or not. But I certainly feel much better about the campaign now. Yeah. Andy, it almost, it almost feels like to me, because I, like I sense a lot of your hesitation about this. It almost feels like how 
in the animal rights movement, there's the the welfare versus abolitionist, where it, should we improve the condition of animals versus work towards abolishing animals as a commodity or animals as property? It almost feels like it's it's sim like not similar. I shouldn't even say, but there are parallels to this issue where it's like, should we work towards better conditions for prisoners? Versus should we work towards like abolishing the prison system or, or something along those lines? And, and maybe that's why I'm sensing some hesitations from you about this, because you're more in line with the, the latter than the former. Yeah, no, I think I think you really nailed nailed it right there, Paul. But I mean, because like when I think about it, I'm like, well, of course, I would want the conditions improved. Of course, I would not want even more animals to be slaughtered under this this current system this current model that they have so so i'm like so what is my resistance to this whole thing yeah and then i think that especially you know calvin has this really hard task that's like if you are going to address this issue how do you address this issue in a way that is respectful of the the inmates and the the humans that are affected by this uh, while still being sort of assertive about the needs of the animals and and just sort of making sure you're not playing into this overall system that does exploit a lot of human beings. Because mm-hmm. e- even under this, even if sort of Evolver Prison Farms gets their, their perfect thing, which in my, in my mind, it wouldn't be plant-based agriculture. It would probably be a, a sanctuary. But maybe the plant-based agriculture would give people life skills that they can use upon release. Um, so maybe that's kind of the big upside of that, but it's like even under that perfect system, they're they're still not going to get paid appropriately. You know, they're still getting paid as Calvin mentioned in the email, like a very small wage for the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, so it's it's hard for me to I guess to really feel out how I feel about this, but I think that the fact that Calvin was so receptive to to the critique that we offered and was willing to make changes and is now seemingly talking he you know he was already talking to prisoners but it seems he's talking more to prisoners and more responding to their needs and incorporating them more in the campaign and so it's not just like this outside entity that's trying to impose this thing upon them um i feel like that's overall very commendable yeah yeah and and like you said it's like two overlapping issues that are kind of playing off of each other and it's it is like a balancing act to make sure you're not damaging one while working towards the other one yeah, and I feel like, you know, my my general response is like, well, I think focusing on vegan education is the way to go because if we had a <laughs> vegan world, we wouldn't have to deal with this. But it almost feels like it's a cop out. Like it, is it just me being like, well, I think it's more effective to go work on this than like I I would not start this campaign myself, but now that it exists, like should I support it or not? Um I don't know. It feels like a cop out to be like, well, I'm just going to go educate people on why to go vegan and not have to think about this thing. Andy, would some consider what we're doing then a single issue campaign because the only issue we're tackling is animal rights versus he's trying to work towards the animal rights and some of like the human, the prisoner, the inmate rights as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, Paul. (laughs) Oh, God, we're we're single issue campaigners, Andy. God, we're only 16 minutes in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sweating. All right, so let's move on into our news section. Andy, what do you got as our first piece of news? Well, this one, I think, ties in nicely with that the follow-up that we just did. I think the Evolve Our Prison Farms is is a, a, a pretty good example of how you know vegans can interact with the, the prison system. And now we have one that I'm not sure is the best way, but I'm curious to see what you think about this, Paul. 
So this is coming to us from PCRM.org, which is the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Uh, it's on June 1st, so it's not super new, but it's been on my mind, and I thought it tied in nicely. California Senate unanimously passes historic bill calling for plant-based meals for patients and prisoners. And a number of news outlets did report on this, especially the vegan ones, but I'm just going straight to this press release from PCRM. The California Senate has unanimously passed SB 1138, a historic bill that could provide patients and prisoners a healthful plant-based option at every meal. The bill, introduced by Senator Nancy Skinner, Democrat from Berkeley, and sponsored by PCRM and social compassion legislation, now moves to the California State Assembly. Offering plant-based meal options is a great way to give people healthy choices and reduce food-related greenhouse gas emissions, says Senator Skinner. But most importantly, I want to make sure we're being fair and giving those in institutional settings food options that meet their individual needs. The Senate's unanimous passage of SB 1138 sends a clear message that lawmakers understand the power of plant-based diet to improve health, save money, and reduce environmental impact, not only in prisons and hospitals, but in all aspects of California life, says Judy Mancuso, founder and president of Social Compassion in Legislation. So, Paul, I think you'll notice that there's something entirely devoid from this statement, and that is the animals. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas the Evolve Our Prison Farms is like animals are front and center and then has incorporated the needs of the inmates um, pretty pretty effectively, I think, with this the new round of revisions to the, the campaign and the wording and all of that stuff. Um, the, you know, the article kind of goes on and talks about there's, there's basically a really strong emphasis on how much money it will save uh, the hospitals and the prisons. And I feel like the hospital aspect of this is getting short shrift. Like any anywhere I've seen it being promoted, it's all about how the California prisons, if this passes, will have to provide vegan options. And they don't really talk about the, the sort of the state run medical facilities. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Like, how do you feel? How do you feel about this? How should we feel about this? Well, I'll tell you, Andy. No. Uh, well, I imagine that, you know, if our goal is to have a vegan world then and the prison system still exists in that world wouldn't then this be the natural result of a vegan world like vegan a vegan prison system type type of deal well i think that one could argue that if the whole world adopted a vegan ethic well you know i don't want to argue this because i feel like this is the argument of people like yurofsky and and now apparently earthling ed that's like if everyone's vegan there won't be racism kind of thing yeah so like i guess in my mind if everyone incorporated the vegan ethic in the way that i see it it'd be hard for people to justify the current prison system Mm -hmm. but i guess more realistically if like snap of the fingers overnight everyone is consuming a plant-based diet uh, and doing their best to not buy leather and all of those things, it's still entirely possible that the, the prison system would remain as is, but just with plant-based food instead. So I guess, I guess yes. Well, well, I think there's a difference between like this and the Evolve Our Prison uh, Farms campaign because the Evolve Our Prison Farms campaign does it seems to be also taking into consider it's not like just a vegan thing it's it's a vegan thing but also taking into consideration what the the actual inmates 
I guess, want or, or it's taking into consideration their feedback about what they're doing versus this just, I, I don't know. Maybe this is, maybe a bunch of people talked to inmates and they said, I wish that we had, well, actually I am, I have no doubt that I'm sure that a lot of inmates said, I wish we had better food because I'm, I, <laughs> not that I am super familiar with the food, but I can't imagine that it's great. So classic, classic trope of prison films is how yeah, bad it, the food is. It's true. This is very true. The slop. So like, I imagine that, so, so maybe, maybe this did come from a place, this, this campaign to get this, uh, this bill passed did come from a place of like, this is what the, the, the inmates want. They want healthier food they want better food so now we're passing this law to give it to them in which case i i guess i would look favorably upon this if it was something that was purely from the this is going to save us so much money standpoint i think i i would be like well i'm glad they have this rather than not have it but it 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 was passed for like a shady reason you know like what was the um what's his name what's the the notoriously terrible uh, and racist Joe Arpaio. guy yeah, because wasn't he being kind of applauded because he had a like a vegetarian <laughs> yeah. prison system, but it was it was more so to like punish the prisoners. Yeah, it was basically playing the idea that that vegetarian food is bad and bland and tasteless, and so it just like played into his idea that you know the the incarceration system uh, is about punishing people rather than rehabilitating them. Yeah, like that. Seeing, I feel like that's comparable. To the, like we can we can put this bill and him th- those two things next to each other and be like what he was doing was clearly bad intentions and shitty and this even though we don't necessarily know all the intentions it seems to be coming from a better place that's what I would speculate yeah and you know I know that like PCRM is as far as I know generally run by vegans that do have like some sort of animal agenda and it feels like maybe for them they they feel like they'll lose legitimacy as this like unbiased physicians committee if they do talk about animal rights and that's why they can't talk about it maybe so but they talk about the environment yeah I the guess environment's that... like a safe thing though and, yeah. you know I, I i stand by my stance that the only reason to <laughs> care about the environment is because of the living beings within it yeah like i don't think if if the environment had no role in sustaining us I don't think that there's any necessarily ethical obligation to preserve it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I do think there are many people who are would call themselves environmentalists who care about the environment that don't necessarily care about animal issues that would say, well, yeah, you're right about that. And I care about it because the humans live on this earth and I don't want the humans to die. So yeah. I feel like it is still... Because Andy, I think I've I've also since you've said that I've also kind of adopted that philosophy. The more I've thought about why do I care about the environment, so I, I've adopted a similar philosophy to you. But I've had trouble getting it across to non-vegans because I feel like to them they're like, yeah, no duh, like humans humans live on this earth, so we want yeah. humans to survive. So I, I feel like unless it, it's hard to bring up that aspect of environmentalism to non-vegans unless it's like closely associated with you you're also having a discussion about the animal ethics as well this is a complete tangent (laughs) (laughs) it's what we do paul it's what we do yeah i mean no i agree i think that like ultimately the environment 
it feels like an altruistic goal, like save the environment. But I think ultimately it is a selfish one. I think for the average person, you know, maybe people feel bad when they see like the oil spills and like the, the pelicans covered in oil and stuff. And maybe people are thinking about the animals in that regard. But I think, I think yes, that's speciesism, Andy. Speciesism right there. But, you know, I think ultimately caring about the environment is essentially just a self-preservation thing for most people. Like, I, I, I don't know, it's just like this thing that, like, people are like, yeah, of course the environment's good and I should care about the environment. It's just, like, the good thing to do. I don't know, like, do you do you agree with that or no? Like, I, I think caring about the environment is a selfish thing. I don't mean selfish with the negative connotations, but I think it's, like, about self-preservation more than it's about anything else. So maybe that's why it's an okay thing for people to care about. Yeah. I, I think it certainly is trendy to care about the environment. And I think that that's a good thing. You know, it's like if, if something's going to be hip, at least it's something that's like good, you know? You know what those kids are into these days? Preserving Recycling. the environment. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so I don't know. Anyways, back to this, back to the, back to this, back to this. But I'm not, I don't know if, if, I don't know if I'm as upset as you are. I can see you just pounding your fist on the table over there. I don't know you if can I'm see a, the vein as, popping out of my forehead. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm as enraged as you are that they that they didn't mention the animals in this little blurb about it. Like I, I because to me, this was something that was being passed for the benefit of the inmates. It seems the inmates or the patients, if it, if it's for uh, hospitals because it almost seems like the purpose of it was to be like people want different choices so let's give them those choices that 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 seems to me that seems like the the problem and the solution people want choices okay here here are choices (laughs) and and I, i like i think that that's i mean i think in this case that's a like what happened here is a good thing for that you know yeah, yeah. Like if I mean, it, if it was if it was the other way around, if it was some all vegan high school or something like that, and and some and and a bunch of parents were like, no, we want our kids to have choices, and they were like, all right, now we have meat dishes. Then I would be like, no, this is terrible. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I I think I agree with you. Like, obviously, I'm glad that the options will exist. I think that's something that you see. You know, people that enter into the prison system due to be incarcerated, you know, for animal liberation activities, you see them, you know, they'll talk about struggling and, and dealing with like either having to do a letter writing campaign or like a hunger strike or, or anything like that to get food that aligns with their ethics. So I'm glad that, you know, people can get those. And I'm glad that people that for other reasons might want them can get them as well. So like, I'm glad about that. I guess I just, I don't ever want to see it turn into like celebrating the prison system because I think there are so many issues with it. Yeah. It it, it certainly seems like the evolve our prison farms campaign, like after all the, like looking at the new website, it certainly seems like they're taking more consideration. They're taking into consideration more about the prisoners than this bill does on the surface at least from yeah. from just from what we're reading from this one press release yeah all right paul this one is coming to us from good old plantbasednews.org on june 14th campaign launched to abolish factory farming in switzerland let me a little, little bit from this article 
anti-speciesist think tank Sentience Politics is one of the groups behind the No Factory Farming in Switzerland initiative, which calls for a constitutional amendment in order to improve the lives of farmed animals. Together with more than 15 other organizations, it plans to collect 100,000 signatures on a petition, then instigate a vote proposing to change the law. And Paul... If you're like mm-hmm. me and you live in the United States and you're only familiar, only intimately familiar with uh, the way politics work in our country, uh, and you say a hundred thousand signatures on a on a petition means absolutely nothing here, how can that get a vote? <laughs> well, Switzerland is what's known as a semi-direct democracy, which means citizens can vote directly on policies. And in order for something like that to happen, an issue has to get. 100,000 signatures within 18 months on a petition, and then it gets put to a vote. Andy, I was you read my mind because that is literally what I was thinking. In my head, I was like, <laughs> what is the population of Switzerland such that 100,000 signatures is enough to sway the entire country? Yeah, well, actually, as it turns out, Paul, the population of Switzerland is 8.23 million currently, so hmm. 100,000 signatures seems attainable. Uh, that's actually slightly less than the population of New York City currently. <laughs> so that's a little tidbit of information for you there. I just I just looked it up real quick. That's about 1.2% of the population. I didn't look it up. I, I mathed it up. That's right. <laughs> you used that brain calculator. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that is a lot to get 1.2% of the population. Uh, uh, I don't know. Because, I mean, we have that in vegans in the united states i think yeah so and but well however andy let me let me let you finish i'm gonna let you finish because (laughs) i want to know more about what this what exactly this constitutional amendment will call for okay let me continue with this article by amending article 80a of the federal constitution the altered law would see quote the protection of the dignity of the animal in agricultural livestock which includes the right not to live within intensive farming practices. It also suggests regulations are put in place regarding the importation of animals and animal products for nutritional purposes. And then it goes on and it sort of talks about various perspectives on the whole thing. And they interviewed, uh, I believe, an anonymous source, the anonymous vegan source that said, uh, you know, the ideal thing to happen would be the ban on factory farms and imported products. So like anything coming into the pro- the country could not come from a factory farm. And they acknowledged that that would not result in an all vegan country, but that it could, you know, raise the price of animal products and sort of drive people to start purchasing more plant-based food, just sort of as a byproduct of the whole thing. So I didn't find anything that's, that gave like the exact specifications of what this would mean. But I'm assuming that it would be something along the lines of like an operation cannot, you know, produce more than a certain amount of animals and there can't be, you know, gestation crates and cages and all of those things. I'm guessing it would be something that's essentially saying you must be a small local type operation in order to legally exist. I was actually I was thinking it would be more along the lines of like. It would give very, very much like welfare type regulations like, oh, cages have to be this big or something like that. But it would be in such a way that it would be like no, no factory farm could ever uh, exist under those regulations. And that would be what shuts down factory farms. You know, that I thought that maybe that was the tactic they were going for, like imposing regulations that 
factory farms just could not adhere to. Yeah, I guess we'll have to do a little more research before we talk about it in front of thousands of people, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, either way, I don't know. It's it's kind of an interesting tactic and one that I don't think would fly in the United States by any means, even even though I think that among non-vegans, like almost no one is in favor of factory farms. Like factory farms have become this real boogeyman that literally the vast majority of the population still supports anyway, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But like most people, like most people think that sweatshops are bad, but most people purchase clothing from sweatshop conditions. Right. It's like Mm -hmm. one of those things where it's like, well, of course animal cruelty is bad and we don't want to support it. And factory farming is bad. Um, So I don't know, I guess the conditions in Switzerland are such that they think this could possibly pass. That would be cool. Like, I also don't know how how tight of a grasp the animal agricultural industry in Switzerland has on the government of Switzerland. True. Compared to the United States, maybe it's not as... Because like you said, I could not imagine something like that passing here just because of the sheer amount of political influence that these industries have you know it's like we're in the midst of the word guardian chicken tenders being banned like that's the issues that we're dealing with and switzerland's like no let's instead of that let's ban factory farms as it is (laughs) so if like that's even on the table then i imagine that there's a different climate over there yeah it seems like it i mean i can only imagine that they don't have a ton of space and that with only eight million people you know, it's, yeah, it seems like the industrial lobby would probably have less power, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll, the- we'll 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 keep people updated on if this actually passes and and how this sort of affects things over there. So I I think this would set a nice precedent, though. I think uh, this would be cool if it ends up happening. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I feel like the abolitionist camp would say it's not good enough but it seems like it could have a drastic impact. But would it just drive people at that point to go? Well, any meat that is available in this country must be cool because it's not from a factory farm. And would it have like a negative impact on animals? Well, I wonder, though, if if because, again, we don't know about what Switzerland's like, but according to, you know, cowspiracy, if like the United States meat consumption just could not exist solely on locally owned small farms, they just cannot produce enough animal meat to 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 sell to for the demand that the united states currently has and i wonder if it's a similar type thing in switzerland where it's like this gets banned so it's only local farms and that would then drastically cut the amount of meat that people are eating solely for the fact that there's just not that much being produced and then in addition as this article says it could cause the prices to rise which would further discourage people from eating meat so it's like it may drastically uh reduce the amount of meat that people are eating and then i do think that that's a good thing because then it shows that people it's it's i feel like it shows people that they are able to exist without all of the meat that they're currently eating and i feel like that's a big step in getting people to realize that veganism is possible for them if they're significantly reducing their meat intake. I feel like they're going to be more receptive to people talking about veganism to them if they're already barely eating any meat, you know? Meat and other animal byproducts, Paul. Yes. (laughs) All right, Hank Hill. (laughs) 
meet and meet my products. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I guess that's that's a potential possible upside of this whole thing. Yeah, so. just trying to look at those silver linings, Andy. <laughs> so we shall see. Yeah, and I'd be curious to see someone saying that it would be a bad thing. Like, it wouldn't. Would it? Would it fundamentally change the way people view the value, like the inherent moral worth of animals? I th- I don't know if on its own it would, but I think it would. Again, I'll I'll repeat what I said before. I think the less meat and animal byproducts that people intake, the more receptive they're going to be to changing their lifestyle in such a way that would further reduce or eliminate those products. Yeah, I I certainly hope so. And that's all I got to say about that, Andy. All right, let's move on to this final (laughs) piece of news. This one is a listener request. We had a bunch of people emailing us and, and uh, sliding into those DMs and letting us know, hey, Ooh. we want your opinion on this. So, so this is coming to us from The Telegraph on June 8th. Supermarket scandal, pork and turkey found in vegan and, quote, meat-free meals. Ugh. Yeah. Gross. Read from this article a little bit. Meat-free and vegan food. Meat-free and vegan food, hey? Uh, (laughs) Sold at Britain's leading supermarkets contained traces of meat. An investigation by the Daily Telegraph can disclose. Laboratory tests found traces of pork in Sainsbury's own meat-free meatballs and traces of turkey in a vegan macaroni ready meal from Tesco's new Wicked Kitchen line. Tesco has admitted that the dish from its Wicked Kitchen range which launched in January, is made in a factory which handles meat, claiming strict controls are in place. The presence of whole animal DNA indicates that a dish contains meat or animal skin, the lab said, with an outside chance it could be present in gelatin or oil, substances which should not be present in vegan dishes, obviously. Paul, a lot of people are making a big deal out of this, and it's certainly gross, but I just don't feel outraged by it if it's just like like trace elements well the second part of the article that you read makes it seem like it's the whole may contain you know like may contain dairy or may contain or made in a factory that produces peanuts or something like that 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 myself and dare i say most other vegans that i know that i know tend to say like that's okay i'll still eat that stuff because that's almost literally every every product that you buy in a supermarket has something like that yeah i will say this maybe i've been fooling myself andy but when i see those things i usually think to myself that's just the company trying to cover their butts in case something happens and it probably doesn't actually contain dairy it probably doesn't actually contain the thing that it says may contain or produced in the similar same factory. So I will say that this article, while not outraged, it makes me reconsider my position of, of being like, Oh no, no, this never happens to like, does this happen more than I want it more than I want to admit to myself. But if it does happen, does that change anything? Does that change the things you purchase? (sighs) I don't know if it would change the things I purchased, but does it maybe well, this is what I was going to say. I was going to say, does it maybe mean we should, I don't know, put pressure? That seems like a seems too harsh. Dunk on them. <laughs> should, should we dunk on <laughs> vegan companies to maybe 
use facilities that don't that aren't being shared but at the same time it's like i know that's not affordable for a lot of like like a lot of these companies can't have their own factory they have to use another they're either renting space from a factory or something like that it's like i'm pretty sure that most of them if they could have their own factory if they could have their own equipment they probably would so if it's not something that's financially possible for them then i guess yeah I, i don't know if it really changes anything it stinks and it's weird and gross yeah, my opinion, honestly, Paul, is that it does not matter whatsoever. Like it, like you said, it's gross. But the impression that I'm getting, Paul, is that it is that it's just that it's essentially the may contain traces of milk. Which, from my perspective, you are purchasing the vegan product. You are not what you are purchasing doesn't. And I know Callie and Nicole will be like, that's a capitalist way of looking at it. But like, you are not paying for the 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 purchase and therefore continued production of said milk by buying that you know protein bar that may contain traces of milk like it's having zero impact on the actual system so mm-hmm. like to me it means nothing other than that's kind of gross you know that's all it means to me and i don't think that anyone should get in an uproar i don't think anyone should feel like they're not vegan anymore because of it i think it just sucks and it just like the food production sucks. I don't think it means boycotting any particular product. I bet all of the people that were make the companies making these products are shocked to find out that there's traces of that stuff. I'm sure they put their trust in the facilities that were manufacturing it. And maybe they did some tests and it came up negative and just a little bit happened to get in at some point. But like, I don't read it as them saying we're mixing in pig's flesh in order to make this taste more like an authentic meatball or something. I didn't read that either. However, I do wonder about I do wonder if maybe it does mean that the companies are being lackadaisical with their their standards because if if this just, you know, if like if it was in some giant blender that they were making these vegan meatballs and you know, there was like a like a tiny little bit of 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 pig flesh left over from the last company that was in there making their meatballs. I don't know what are meatballs made out of, Andy, but making their meatballs. Meat and and balls, Paul. (laughs) Like, if that was the case, the chance that that tiny little bit of pork was picked up by this random test would be so, like, that would be (laughs) so rare. So to me, what this means is that it's not just an isolated incident it's it's a reoccurring incident and and for me i'm like does that mean they should maybe step up their their either their sanitation or something like that yeah i think it does i guess i just don't think that it means like huge petition you know you don't need to get a hundred thousand signatures for it i i feel like it's something that like the companies need to deal with and maybe that means the public needs to put pressure on them. But I don't think it should cause anyone to feel like they're not vegan anymore or that they can't trust any product anymore. And I guess if you have an issue with it, go eat fruits and vegetables, you know. But I don't know. To me, it's not something to lose our minds over. I, I do agree with that. I will also say, though, I think this has far harsher implications for people that maybe for religious reasons don't eat pork or also people who are allergic to something that they found traces of in these things. 
Yes, and that's certainly uh, another sect of the population that I think would probably feel way more upset over consuming it. And they do talk about that in this article. Um, that's much more of like... A serious uh, issue? I guess. I don't know. I don't want to say it's not serious for vegans, because obviously it's serious for vegans, but I don't feel like anyone should feel like they violated their ethics by purchasing these things unknowingly. I No, I agree with that. I agree with that, too. And that's our feelings on this <laughs> issue. <laughs> All right, Paul. Well, we're going to get deep in some feels in our main discussion. But before we do that, we need to thank our amazing new Beardos that have joined us and decide to support us financially. You know, normally we are talking about our Patreon donors, and that is something that people can do to support us for as little as a dollar a month. And you get access to bonus episodes, and you can get merch and early episode access and everything. Um, but we have another way to support the podcast, and that is through just a one-time PayPal donation. And you can do any level. No matter what you do, you'll get a shout-out on the podcast. And so thank you very much to David Z with a very generous one-time donation to our PayPal. Thank you, David. Yeah, we really appreciate that. If you want to get in on that action with either of those options, just head over to thebeardedvegans.com slash Beardo. That's B-E-A-R-D-O. And you'll have a couple options to help us out. So thank you once again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So shall we get to this main discussion, Andy? We shall. So as you mentioned at the top of the show, Paul, we've had a few people in our lives uh, approach us asking us if we were going to cover this topic on the show. We got some emails out of it. And I think the most interesting of the emails uh, was this one from someone that wanted to remain anonymous. So let's just read it. And it says, and, and actually, Paul, before I read this email, I feel like we should probably give a disclaimer. We're going to be talking about Anthony Bourdain. And if you are not familiar, recently died, uh, committed suicide. So we are going to be discussing, we're not going to be discussing, you know, in-depth depression and suicide, but those things will come up in this discussion. So we just wanted to give that to a disclaimer to anyone who may feel like they might want to avoid the the rest of the episode because of that or not, but just wanted to give you a heads up. All right. So with that said, this is the email. Hey guys, I've been feeling really mixed emotions regarding the recent death by suicide of Anthony Bourdain. I've seen many vegans celebrating their love of the man and his work, while I've seen just as many celebrating his death. Then, of course, I've seen people telling those celebrating his death that it's inappropriate. While I agree that it may seem harsh to celebrate his death, Bourdain was not simply another meat-eater. He was someone who promoted the exploitation of animals, someone who participated in their suffering to a greater degree than the average person. It had me wondering if there is some speciesism in saying that his death should not be celebrated. I'd imagine that if Donald Trump was to die tomorrow, many of the vegans calling for decorum and respect in the face of Bourdain's death would be dancing in the street. Why is it okay to celebrate the death of a human that has committed great harm to other humans, but not to animals? It's a very good question. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a thinker. So before we talk about this, Paul, I think that maybe we should try and qualify whether or not Anthony Bourdain was like not just your average meat eater that sort of 
you know, a part of a system that they were born into and indoctrinated into, and they're not really thinking about what they're doing and doesn't make it any less horrible. But of course, there's, there's sort of this like, quote, product of their time kind of mentality that we have when we deal with with non vegans when we're trying to do vegan education work, where it's like, we don't think that that you are like an evil person, but we do think that it's important for us to, you know, wake up out of that system kind of thing. So, uh, so Paul, what do you think? Do you think that Anthony Bourdain was like more than just your average meat eater? I'm going to say yes. And there are two kind of factors that go into that, that mix together to, to create my yes answer. One being he was very, very outspoken against veganism and vegetarianism. And we'll get to some of the things that he said momentarily, but he spoke out not only against veganism, but also would tackle specific tactics that vegans use that I think could potentially be damaging to activists. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is that he's obviously was very popular and famous and had his own TV show where he was not only did he have a TV show where he was front and center, but it was a TV show that when I'll also give examples of this in a little bit that exploited animals in in gratuitous ways as as you'll probably see and it's not just like I I feel like it it goes it maybe went beyond the typical cooking show where it's like here I am getting here I am getting this this frozen steak it's not like you're not looking at the cow you're looking at just this frozen block of meat and now I'm gonna I'm gonna season this and and grill this up it's kind of like shows more of the his his show I feel like displayed more of the animal exploitation in such a way that normalized it and made it seem okay to the viewers so I'm gonna say yes Andy I, I do think that he maybe had more of an influence or an impact against veganism than than say like a a typical meat eater so like above and beyond the fact that he just had visibility as someone that's been known to consume animal products you feel like he he really like doubled down and like reinforced anti-vegan sentiment yes definitely all right show your proof all right (laughs) all right so so i did a little bit of lurking around the internet to find some some quotes from him from from the years so this one was from 2000, an article from 2011 that says, in his book Kitchen Confidential, he wrote, Vegetarians and their Hezbollah-like splinter faction, the vegans, are a persistent irritant to any chef worth a damn. To me, life without veal stock, pork fat, sausage, organ meat, demi-glaze, or even stinky cheese is a life not worth living. Vegetarians are the enemy of everything good and decent in the human spirit, and an affront to all I stand for, the pure enjoyment of food. Wow. <laughs> That's, and that is like, as you'll see, I'll read a few different quotes. That is like very, I, I mean, if you are not familiar with him, he was very, I would say, blunt. And, and his humor was very asshole-ish, you would, you would might classify it as. I was listening to, I forget which one it was, some podcast. They were sort of talking about the legacy of Bourdain and... Uh, he was basically described as a good asshole. Like that was kind of like his brand, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, who knows if some of these things he's saying are being over exaggerated to kind of 
continue that that brand but i mean i i don't know if that even matters because he's still putting these things out there for his millions and millions of fans to to see yeah or here so here's another thing he had to say in an interview with playboy magazine again this is from 2011 talking about vegetarians they make for bad travelers and bad guests the notion that before you even set out to go to thailand you say i'm not interested or you're unwilling to try things that people take so personally and are so proud of and so generous with i don't understand that and i think it's rude you're at grandma's house you eat what grandma serves you uh he also he again said about veganism i don't have any understanding of it being a vegan is a first world phenomenon completely self-indulgent that's kind of an interesting quote from someone that like flies around the world eating various cuisine and should know that not everyone just like you know i feel like should know better than that yeah and and especially because we'll talk about this later he is someone that was praised for his his understanding of other cultures or his uh devotion to other cultures i guess you could say even yeah you could say that (laughs) (laughs) the so like this first the first quote which uh, is pretty notorious i believe that one's pretty old though right the one about vegans and their hezbollah like splinter faction of vegans yeah um or vegetarians rather uh like you know like you see people there are people who defend not being vegan on the grounds of like sustainability or that you feel like they have some argument that I think that if you got down to it, you'd find a lot of common ground with, with said person. I know that we've dedicated whole episodes to saying like, is veganism truly the most kind and ethical way? And you sort of examine the life of some people that like live off the land or, and like have a significantly lower environmental impact and thus less impact on animals. Uh, because they live a specific lifestyle that may include the occasional death of an animal or something like that. Like, uh, you know, and I don't want to get into the nuances of that right now. So hold your letters. But I, I think that we, we see that, but his sort of defense of saying why veganism is and vegetarianism is horrible is purely based off of like the pleasure aspect of it. Mm-hmm. It's not saying, well, I think actually the best way to save this planet and to kill the least amount of animals is to take the death of like one grass fed cow versus, you know, all the animals killed the grain field, like whatever that, you know, the argument kind of is. Uh, it's basically just I stand for the enjoyment of food and therefore lots of animals should die. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, definitely. So I see why I see why that enrages a lot of people. I certainly don't react favorably to that quote. So here's here's another one that's interesting because it kind of attacks vegan specific vegan tactics, but then there's like an interesting little little tidbit at the end. So this is from Eco Razzi, and again in 2011, he was big, talking big about big year for Bourdain hating vegans in 2011. <laughs> yeah, apparently, so he was talking about the foie gras industry. And he said, I don't know any chef who would buy the kind of foie gras that is produced the way they show in those pita films. No restaurant I know of would buy the product of a stressed out, terrified, abused goose or duck. That equals bad foie gras. But it's a straw man issue to start with because every duck and goose raised for foie gras in this country, at least that I know of, lives a far more luxurious, happier, better life than any chicken ever killed for the Colonel or Popeyes, as the pita people would know. They're... They're picking on foie gras because it's French, it's expensive, most people haven't had it, and it looks ugly in the scary films they show. And then 
the article goes on to say, but Bourdain isn't opposed to all conservation efforts. He's against eating shark's fins, calling the practice incredibly cruel and wasteful. And that's interesting to me, Andy, because that is the only, that's kind of like the only article, that's the only quote that I could find where he shows kind of any care into animal practices like welfare. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I even found so I I watched this this you and we'll include the link I watched this kind of YouTube debate it was a six minute video it was him this other guy that was definitely on board with him and then this third person who was kind of prodding him about questions about the morality of of eating animals basically and so he basically says the same the, kind of the same line about foie gras about how. Oh, this isn't how it. This isn't how it actually is, and and these geese are are treated much better than anything that you'd see in any of these PETA videos. And then the other speaker, the other guy that's definitely on board with him, says, "Well, the geese are treated much better than the Ghanaian dishwashers, so you shouldn't be worried about the geese. Like that shouldn't be the issue that we're talking about." And Bourdain like heartily agrees with that. And I, I Andy, I thought it was interesting that Anthony Bourdain uses the straw man issue line in that first quote, but then this guy essentially introduces this straw man argument and saying like, well, the, the dishwashers are the real issue. So like, that's why you're wrong about foie gras as his argument. And Anthony Bourdain's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I was like, you're using a straw man argument right now. Yeah. Uh, but then also later uh, about, cause I mentioned how this was the only thing I could, f- that other quote was the only thing I can find about him speaking anything about welfare. The other sp- speaker says he's like to be honest he says if i'm being honest i don't give a shit i don't care if animals suffer and bourdain like laughs at that and the whole audience laughs at that so i was like i don't really think that bourdain it doesn't seem like he really cared about animal welfare even though there's that one little thing about shark fins yeah yeah that's uh very telling i suppose yeah and then the the i guess the last I got a couple more things, Andy, but <laughs> lay, lay them on me. I think we got to get right. it all out here, Paul. Okay. Okay. So I found one YouTube. It was, it, it was a, it was a vegan YouTuber that had just compiled a few compilation clips from some of his different TV shows. And th- these were a few quotes from the TV shows. He said, vegans are disgusting and loathsome. I'm often asked why vegans are the enemy of everything good and decent and must be hunted down and destroyed so their genes don't pass on to future generations. It's because if you can't enjoy even a nice, stinky, runny, ripe cheese, you may as well kill yourself now. And that is a troubling thing to say. Yeah. And so that was that was older. But here's actually something, Andy, from April 18th, 2018. So this is, I think, the most recent bit of Anthony Bourdain vegan tidbit that I could find. It was part of a larger interview from eater.com. And the last question this person asked was, a lot of people are talking about the Impossible Burger, this lab-grown meat substitute that's not, being not lab-grown though. <laughs> it's yeah, <laughs> that's being served in trendy restaurants as well as White Castle. Have you tried this? And Bourdain responded, "I haven't. Look, there are a lot of hungry people in the world. I guess if it is a means of providing must need." Must needed protein to people who need protein to live. I guess I'm all for it. But, you know, as someone who spent 30 years as a chef, of course, I'm going to be resistant to the notion that there's any replacement for the texture and and musculature and funk of real meat. 
so I'm resistant to it. I hate the idea that people are selling this at a premium at hip restaurants. You know, it doesn't fill me with joy. It makes me fearful of a Soylent Green future. Like, I'm... So, a few other articles covered this specific little tidbit, and, and they covered it like, Anthony Bourdain responds that he doesn't like the Impossible Burger, or like, Anthony Bourdain, disfavorable towards Impossible Burger, and he has, he never actually tried it, so that's kind of like a, a weird thing to title an article, but... Yeah, you know, I actually saw some, some like, vegan outlets spinning it positively, because it was either in this or another one where he, he mentions, like, he, like, concedes that it could potentially be more sustainable, and so tackling it from that aspect and the world hunger aspect... People are like, Bourdain admits Impossible Burger could help with world hunger or something like that. Yeah. It, it was also certainly interesting to me that as someone who – I think you might have already said, just said this, Andy, but as someone who was known to be like, I will try anything in this world. Yeah. Like, I will try – like, he ate, like, rabbit brains and stuff like that. It's like, oh, Im- the Impossible Burger? No, like, this is this is a disgrace to – to food and stuff like that. And that's so strange to me. Like it, I feel like that's just a part of like, that almost seems a part of this stubbornness to be like, I am a, like, it, it definitely seems like he was just against anything vegan and like off the bat. Well, it almost, it has me thinking about our backfire effect episode and how we were talking about the concept of filling the gap that people feel like if, if they like stop eating animal products that it's like challenges who they, their view, their sense of self, like who they think that they are as a human being. And so it almost feels like it's like that issue with him. Like he feels like it's part of his brand that he will eat any animal anywhere in the world and has no problem with the suffering that they go through. And so to, to even like, I feel like as a a chef, you would be excited to play around with this new thing that like chefs like David Chang are putting in their restaurants, you know, like you would go, Oh, that's interesting. Like, let me see what I can do with this new type of protein and see if it's worth a damn, as opposed to just writing it off entirely. I almost feel like from a chef's perspective in terms of advocacy, it would almost be better if it wasn't called the impossible burger. If it was called, you know, we've had this discussion before, if it was called something new and you could be like, here's this new type of food you could. And I'm sure he would have been stoked to be like, oh, I can't wait to try out like this new food. But instead, because it's like, here's this thing that's going to be replacing this other thing. He's like, no, can't have that. We'll never have that. I'm against it yeah. without trying it. Yeah. So this last this is the last one, Andy. This last little uh, thing that I will pull up is a change.org petition. That was called CNN, Stop Promoting Animal Torture on Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. And this was started by Last Chance for Animals, who actually ended the campaign after Bourdain's death. They released a little statement that was like, out of respect for him, we are going to stop this campaign. And so obviously this was very recently that they stopped it. And at the time they stopped it, it had... Over 121,000 signatures, Andy, so it, it would have swayed the Switzerland government. <laughs> and this is reading from that change.org petition. That's still up, but you just can't. It's just not active anymore. CNN has built a reputation as a respectable, informative news network. But by glorifying the most insidious forms of animal cruelty on Anthony Bourdain's gruesome TV series, Parts Unknown, the network has sunk to a disturbing new low in so-called entertainment. 
Bourdain's show depicts barbaric and sadistic acts such as cutting open a live snake to remove its beating heart, wrestling a goat to the ground before slicing his throat and drinking the blood, and laughing callously about a chef ripping the intestines from a live duck. Through Parts Unknown, Bourdain is desensitizing people around the world to animal torture and turning suffering into a joke. With his popularity and status, Bourdain could be doing a lot of good in the world, yet he chooses the road of misery and death. CNN must be held to the highest accountability for their programming, and it's time to take animal torture out of their lineup by continuing to air this macabre experience masquerading as a travel show. CNN is directly responsible for brutal animal abuse. So that was just a few. I I had read other examples also from parts unknown that that listed other kind of terrible things that like like just legit animal torture that happened on that show. So this is what I was referring to when I said before, Andy, when I was talking about like it, it goes beyond just the typical Food Network show, I feel like. And it's 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 normalizing like extreme animal cruelty do you think though i mean okay there's i have two thoughts about this particular angle so parts unknown is him traveling all around the world i actually did watch the first i had never seen an episode i watched the first episode of it in preparation for this this episode and you know he the whole idea is that he's traveling to areas that like maybe most people don't go to and sort of exposing them to and by people i guess i mean like western you know like american audiences mm-hmm. exposing them to the culture and the food and, and sort of like being like here's a window into the world and so do you think maybe that there's some some like xenophobia or racism tied up in saying that the stuff that he was showing was significantly worse than what a cow goes through in the like american food system that's it's a good point, Andy. I think it can get tricky. I I think it it still seems to me though that from the examples that I was reading about, it seems that they the show purposefully chose like very extreme examples of things that they could do to animals on the program. And this actually ties back into that the YouTube kind of debate that I had that I was pulling up a few quotes from before because another thing he said on that debate was he said, I think it's a good idea for any chef to get up close to their victim, basically saying like they should know what it's like to, to kill the animal. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think that that's what he was trying to promote in parts unknown, which is I think interesting because <laughs> like as a vegan tactic we often show like this is what's happening in the in the slaughterhouses like this is how gruesome and terrible it is and that's basically what he was doing on his show but i think the tone of it is completely different and i think that that plays an important aspect into it like i think people some people may have watched that the stuff on his show and been like wow that's really gross like i'm going to stop doing this but I feel like the way that it's spun on the show, h- how you're supposed to feel is like, oh, this is like, this is a man getting in touch with like the roots of the earth. And, and this is like the person, like this is the hunter gatherer. This is the hunter, like killing the animal himself and, and doing all the preparation himself. So I feel like the way that it was, the the tone of it makes it different. And I don't know. I still feel as though, the show was sensationalizing 
extreme examples of animal abuse. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree that maybe some people would watch it and say, "Oh, I don't want to participate in this anymore." But also because it's taking place in such faraway destinations that people would just feel like, "Well, I'm just going to stick to my food system, which I know isn't great, but it's clearly not as bad as this," which again might play into some of the xenophobia. And I think like is an argument to be made that like what he's doing is like much more honest than the the Food Network show that just has someone pulling cow's flesh out of a freezer and throwing it on a grill and they're not talking about how that got there at least he's sometime in the episode that i watched at least as far as i watched into it i did not see anything like that but like is there an honesty to what he's doing more so than the average cooking show but i feel like yes yes i do i do think that there is but at the same time i also feel as though Again, with just how it's portrayed, I feel like it's being portrayed like this is what's going on and it's okay to do this. Yeah. Yeah, because in in like the animal rights films, there's sad, dramatic music happening and not someone that's laughing when intestines are pulled out of a live duck. Yeah, because like I think that, you know, when you're seeing such disturbing and graphic stuff like that, it it helps to have someone or the the music or something to help like to help you with like deal with the feelings that you're feeling watching something so terrible happening and if someone's like laughing at this then as you're processing this awful thing if you're if if that goes along with someone like joyous and like oh this is going to be so great blah 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 i feel like that influences how you process those things yeah yeah, that that is definitely true. Like you're sort of like, tell me how to feel. Mm-hmm. Oh, this really famous person that everyone loves thinks that this is entertainment or something to laugh at. That's going to influence how the general public feels about pain being inflicted on animals and being celebrated. Yes, yes, but I I do concede to your point though that it it can definitely get tied up with xenophobia if we're just like. Oh, look at all this terrible stuff that's happening in these faraway places. These things are so bad. I I do see how that could come into play. Yeah. And also, I guess before we move on, I will say like his point about the foie gras is like, I'm like, I don't know if I disagree with that. Like we've talked about the issues with sort of focusing on these things that seem to be egregiously cruel while sort of ignoring the other stuff that's going on. So, you know, I, I, obviously to him that leads to uh, like, people saying well yeah so like who gives a crap about any of it and to me it just means like we need to be more strategic in the focuses that we choose but like i don't know he also he he also said things like oh any he he was basically trying to make the point that anytime you have good tasting meat it's because the animal was raised oh yeah yeah. that's true that's true that it's kind of like no no good chef would use that it's like well clearly there are a lot of chefs that are using the stuff that you think is not as good or else there wouldn't be an industry for it like that's his and his deflection is oh it's it's the mcdonald's it's the popeyes it's the kentucky fried chicken they're using the 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 tortured abused animals and that's why their meat tastes bad and and he's like any chef that i know we only used animals that are raised well because that's the best tasting meat. And and I, I cannot imagine that that's true. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're totally right on that. So, so, okay. So I agree, Paul, I agree with your assessment that 
he was more than the average meat eater. But I guess let me say this, like the stuff that he has said about vegans and veganism and, and the things that he said are no doubt horrible and incredibly insensitive and offensive and obviously just really has horrible implications for animals. I don't know that what he's saying is worse than what the average non-vegan says. Like, obviously, there's degrees to that. But I've had you know people that do not have a high profile like Bourdain say really horrible things to me, like worse things than that to me personally while I've been doing outreach or especially on Facebook. So it's just that it's just that Bourdain has like a public platform for it. And there's a record of it to look back on where most of us don't have a record to look back on the horrible shit we've said in our lives. recording a podcast in there (laughs) but andy what if that person said that to you because they heard anthony bourdain saying that (laughs) and 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 because i I feel like that's more likely than someone saying that to you and being like oh yeah jeff over there i heard jeff say that so now i'm saying that well he has much more influence i think people do say it because jeff said it and like what if anthony bourdain's saying it because his uncle jeff said it to him you know yeah yeah but but my point is that much more people are going to be influenced by him than it's a random Joe. You mean a random Jeff? A random Jeff, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I guess I, I guess I agree with that. Like, he has more responsibility to present the issues fairly than a random Jeff. So, okay, so with that said, Paul, I, I agree with you. I concede to your point that he is more than the average meat eater, and that he. Because of his platform and his views, it's not a stretch to say that the way he spoke about these issues encouraged people to not view animals as sentient beings deserving of their lives. Mm-hmm. So I'll say that. So, I mean, all of that is pretty like horrible and reprehensible. I, I won't deny that. And that, and I don't know if you had this experience, Paul, but on the the day of his passing. I was shocked to learn how many of my friends loved Anthony Bourdain. Did you have this experience? Like, look, your Facebook feed was just all love for Anthony Bourdain? Yes, I had the exact same experience. I had, I remember one post I read said, like, this is in the top 10 worst days of my life. And I was like, whoa, like, this person was very inspirational to many people, apparently. Yeah, and... uh Uh, Not that I did not see posts of people that were sort of happy about his death for the reasons of all the stuff that you just outlined for us. But I think it's probably just the group of people that I've curated to be around me. But like in general, everyone was very positive about it or saying back off and don't say negative shit right now. Like let people grieve and, and be in their feelings right now. And, you know, a lot of those people were chefs. Uh, friends of mine that like run restaurants and stuff. And they're talking about how he sort of like sparked their curiosity in global cuisine. And and like, I got that, but then just sort of like the average, you know, non chef friend of mine was still (laughs) all two of them. All two. Yeah. Everyone, too many chefs, too many cooks, Uh, (laughs) uh, like just so much love for the man. And I, I get that. Like when celebrities pass, some people sort of, feign more appreciation for that person than they they probably generally had but it, it almost felt like I, this was like the most positive reaction of ever not pos- positive not like the right word but like the most praiseful reaction to a celebrity death that i've seen in a while like it was kind of shocking to me how 
every single post was about that. And maybe just Facebook's like, yes, give them more Bourdain, more Bourdain. Yeah. Just throw it, it was on, like, slop it on. It was like David Bowie level. Yeah. Uh, Post appreciation, exactly. Like it was like Bowie or Michael Jackson or something passing is yeah. how it, it's how it felt, which was kind of shocking to me. So I wanted to like dig into okay, well, why did people seem to love Anthony Bourdain? Uh, there's way less documentation in essay form from vegans talking about this as there is about people talking about the cruelty, but there was an essay published on Live Kindly that said, I'm vegan and I'm really going to miss Anthony Bourdain. So uh, as someone, uh, Paul, I'm getting the impression that you're not someone that was super familiar with his work and like a big fan beforehand. Like, I think I had seen one or two episodes of the show, but that's about it. Yeah. Like he's certain for me, I have the same feeling. Like I was basically, I'm like a neutral party in this. I'm Switzerland in this, you know, like I'm, I'm aware of his presence. I've seen him in pop culture. I've probably, yeah, I've probably caught bits and pieces of episodes and I'm aware that he's commented and said shitty things about vegans, but you know, in general, he's not someone that I've really read his writing or watched his show. Um, so I thought this, um, I'm going to pick a few little pieces from this essay over at live kindly. Perhaps it was because Bourdain's influence on our food system has been as critical as Michael Pollan's or Alice Waters, as revelatory as any of his contemporaries in the most famous kitchens. But Bourdain was far more relatable. He was a cook ever more than he was a chef. A from-the-ground-up, self-made, ordinary guy with something to say. The conversations were raw and rewarding. He reminded me often that our lives are bigger than ourselves. He was gripped by a responsibility to tell a bigger story than his own. In Bourdain's stories, people were more than their professions. They were people first and foremost, spinning along on the strange rock with their own journeys, their own stories to tell. He made every story compelling because when it comes down to it, every story really is compelling. He broke down that wall between us and everyone else. He peeled back the layers of the human condition, revealing the heart in all of us. Right? So this is painting a, a different picture than all of the quotes that you just read. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think th- that is something that I saw repeated. I think a lot of the the positive praise that I have to go off of is off of seeing you know Facebook posts and, and little essays kind of posted on Facebook was this sort of this idea that he traveled the world and he he explored the cuisine of the world in a non-judgmental way, in a way that wasn't like, ew, that's so gross and weird. I can't about to try this thing, like just sort of really reveling in it. And in that first episode of Parts Known that I watched, uh, he was really like working to ex- explain the history of the region and how that affected the, the food of the, of the region and the culture and, and sitting down with people that were like journalists. Um, I think it was in, in uh, Myanmar was, was that first episode and just sort of talking about the history of political repression and interviewing a journalist that had spent time in prison because of it. And that's just painting this wide picture. That's way more than here's what the food is in this country. And I did appreciate that. It did strike me as different than the average food travel show that I normally watch. Not that I watch a lot, but I watch the vegan roadie basically. That's it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) but like it struck me as different than like travel shows that I used to watch. And I will also 100% admit that because we were talking about, oh, is criticizing 
Anthony Bourdain's show possibly bordering teetering on xenophobia or does it do we run the risk of of promoting that ideology and I will say that I do believe that his show fought against those things like I think he did a good job at at showing like the people and and exposing like the people and the culture to many of us ignorant westerners that that aren't as familiar with many of the areas that he traveled to. Yeah, and you know, I've seen divergent opinions on that. Um, you know, some people saying that they really appreciated that portrayal of like, you know, they're, they're they live in America, but the, like the portrayal of their culture that they came from and the food they came from as not being this scary weird thing. Um, and I've also seen critiques of him that, you know, essentially he was this colonizer that was going around and and profiting off of showing this food and like street food and, and sort of, uh, you know, he's like he's elevating it. Like we've talked about with certain restaurants that's run, that are run by white people that sort of elevate, quote unquote, like global uh, cuisine and profit off of it. So I so I have seen that critique as well. And I don't I don't want to downplay that at all. I think it's there's sort of a lot of layers to that aspect of his show. Yeah, I, I, I will say in, in my limited experience with him, he does seem genuine about his, his intentions. Yeah. Like, and that, that seems to be the thing that a lot of people love about him was that he was this every man kind of this, like no bullshit kind of guy, really straightforward, really brash. wasn't afraid to say his opinion on things. And and that he had a genuine curiosity to learn about the world, learn about the people within it, and at the same time eat some really delicious food and and highlight food that a lot of people might find to be weird. Mhm. Mhm. Definitely. Yeah, and, and I I found this other article from CBS News that was titled Anthony Bourdain's death means loss of a voice for immigrant workers and it basically just interviewed a bunch of different restaurant owners or or chefs that kind of couldn't speak highly enough about his his respect for kind of the the lower level workers in kitchens and just a few quotes from some of those from some of those chefs they said he was one of the few chefs that valued the work of the latinos in the kitchen another quote says when he goes somewhere he always finds the place where he can find the root of the culture I was so impressed about how down to earth he is in his sense of humor. And then, and then another little quote from the article that says, I thought this was kind of funny last year, a blogger accused him of banning white chefs from getting exposure on a parts unknown episode on Houston's culinary scene. And Bourdain responded calling it shameful, dishonest race baiting clickbait. So apparently he was a very, uh, very, outspoken critic of Trump's immigration policies and fiercely defended Hispanic workers in the United States. So, Paul, it's mm-hmm. almost as if Anthony Bourdain is a complicated human being with pros and cons, <laughs> just like the rest of us. I I do believe, I do declare, Andy, <laughs> that you are correct. <laughs> so, okay, so we've just, we've laid out, I know we spent like a long time sort of talking about all of these things. I, personally, I found it fascinating to sort of get to know this guy through looking at it through these two different lenses. And I thought like our, our listeners would also find that curious if you weren't particularly invested in who he was or any of the, the media that he put together. But it does leave us circling back around to that initial email. And 
sort of asking this question, essentially asking this question, how should vegans react to the death of someone like Bourdain, you know, him specifically, or the next vegan celebrity chef uh, that, that sort of, that, that might pass away. Like, is it okay to feel relief about this person's death? Is it okay to feel sadness about like, ha- like, is there any one way to feel? Is there any one way to react? Is it, shameful to point out the horrible things that he said and done in the wake of his death and should should we just let people grieve and deal with it or is there a conversation to be had uh that's a lot of questions paul but mm-hmm. like i'm gonna tr- i'm gonna actually try to answer maybe one or two of them. <laughs> do it give it give your best shot so i think that in the same way that andy we always promote the idea of, you know, like no hero worship. There's no one vegan activist that's going to, that's going to change, you know, like that's going to make the world vegan. So therefore, you know, like be critical of people, be critical of vegans and, and realize that, that, you know, like this one activist maybe isn't the person to be promoting because of some other shitty things that they said for that similar reason. I think we can acknowledge that even though Anthony Bourdain was certainly against veganism and for the reasons that I kind of outlined before, I I think he did have more of a negative influence on veganism than your everyday average Jeff. I I think that he's not going to be, he, he was not going to be the sole person to take down veganism. And therefore I, I don't think that there's any need to capitalize on his death. And, and I, I don't think there's any need to post about it and be like, this is a good thing. Like, I don't really see the gain from that. And I I could certainly see many cons about that because as we've also outlined, many people, many people were really into him and he is as a complicated individual. He did do some good things, especially it seems for, um, for workers rights. And so, so I, I guess if, if you are someone that is like, he was a, a, not a good person for veganism and, and that kind of outweighs all the other stuff, I still don't really f- see any need to, make your sentiments like you know like shout shout out those sentiments and be like good like i'm glad this person is gone like i i don't think there's any i don't really see the the pros of that i guess does that answer any of those questions yeah i don't know i, I guess i feel like despite the fact that he is like kind of worse than the average non-vegan again like he he had that influence but i feel like even though he was participating in sort of glorifying those things it still doesn't feel like it's appropriate to celebrate his death necessarily yeah. but i can't help but think about this email that we got and i like i agree do you agree paul that if trump was to die tomorrow by whatever means there would be parties in the streets of many cities Yes. Right? I do agree with that. Yeah. Do you think that's in poor taste? Well, I think there is there's many differences, but one of the differences might be that uh, like the the animals in Anthony Bourdain's case, like the animals don't know the people that are being affected 
the animals don't know that he has died and they don't know that now maybe they are point oh 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 one percent closer to being like becoming liberated in a vegan world because of his death like they don't know about that so like it's not like the animals would celebrate whereas i feel like with trump who is affecting people like the people do know about that and and i feel like the relief that would be maybe felt being like well obviously if just trump died there's a andy there's a plethora of other shitty politicians out there that i'm sure would do terrible things as that i'm sure do also do terrible things as well so it's not like he is the the he would represent the end of all the bad things about american the american government but i do feel like people would be able to relate more with like feeling the relief of like wow this person that said all these terrible things about me is now gone versus the animals yeah and and not just said these terrible things about me like enacted these yeah yeah, yeah reprehensible yeah. policies you know we're yeah. we're recording this right now when i don't even want to say it's the middle of but like it's be it's really coming to light like the children being separated from their families at the the southern border of the u.s and mm-hmm. something that is like undeniably and i don't even i don't like use this word i don't believe in evil but i feel like undeniably evil and undeniably cruel and and so like it's 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 like incomprehensible how inhumane what's happening there is right now. And so I feel like I would, I would probably celebrate if Trump was dead. And I, but, but, but here's the thing is I don't, while I don't think that Trump is the sole reason that those things are happening, I do feel like he represents the reason why those things are happening. And I think that that's a big difference between him and Anthony Bourdain is that Anthony Bourdain doesn't like represent why the world's not vegan, you know? He's not like an icon he, of He kind of is though. I mean like he he's an icon for sure. He he's an icon. And he's, but he I don't think... he presents a model for other chefs that want to be like the cool down to earth guy that gets down there and wrestles with a goat and slits their throat, you know? Unintentional rhyme. But like I I I I still don't believe that cuz like Andy, you and I who are both very involved in veganism. Like neither of us knew a tremendous amount about him besides like, yeah, this guy does not like vegans, yeah. but it wasn't like, it was never like this guy represents anti-veganism. He is like the face of the anti-vegan movement. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know? true. Yeah. I feel like I know more about like Joel Salatin, who is all about like the local humane farming. I, I think of him more as like, the face of like what we're kind of fighting against more than I think of as like Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. So I feel like that's a big difference between him and the, the Trump thing is like, I I think that when someone like Anthony Bourdain, who, who had, who was a mix of good and bad things, but then like when someone like that dies and, and there's this mix of reactions where some people are like, oh, this person was so influential and other people are like, but this person did all these terrible things. I feel like it's it's much more murky than with someone like Trump. So I feel like it's almost a a poor uh, comparison to make. What about if like Ted Nugent died? I think that 
I th- I don't think that there'd be people dancing in the streets, but <laughs> but I do think that I would see, especially from like our friend group, Andy, like the the types of people that well, I should only speak for myself that I am friends with on Instagram and Facebook. I do think I would see people like, wow, good thing this this POS is dead, you know? Yeah. Like I I, I feel like he more so like like. See, I don't know. I don't know. I, again, I, I am not the most familiar with Anthony Bourdain, but I, I, I still feel as though someone like Ted Nugent, it's more their identity of like being a real hot steam and turd than, <laughs> than Anthony Bourdain. Maybe I'm wrong. Like, and maybe that's how the people, the people that are making those posts, like that are saying like, what's well, better. It's better now that he's gone. Maybe the people that are making those posts did feel that way about him. They felt like his identity was anti-veganism and and if that's how they felt about him then i can certainly i i, I still don't know if it, it if it would be the the kind way to go about it or the i don't want to say the right way to go about it but i can certainly relate to their feelings more if that's how they feel rather than if it's just like someone who said bad things about veganism and now he's gone sort of deal yeah yeah um, I think that your point about the fact that, you know, someone that is necessarily bad for for veganism or animal liberation, their death is it's like it's not something that the actual victims would be celebrating because they're just sort of unaware of the situation. I do think mm-hmm. that's like a really key difference between, say, celebrating the death of Bourdain versus like a Donald Trump type character. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I agree with you. That's not something I'd really thought about, but it sort of circles back to around a point that we we often like to make that you know veganism isn't necessarily about vegans, and that we're we are the allies to this movement. You know, we are the ones that are doing a lot of this work to liberate animals, but we're not necessarily liberating ourselves through that. Yeah. I mean, some some argue that you, that you that you do, um, and I think you know us as as you know like white guys significantly less so than like other marginalized communities that that have made good arguments for why veganism is a part of the important part of their liberation. So, so I guess I should sort of qualify that, that I say that from our perspective and not from like someone that's a part of a marginalized community necessarily. Mm -hmm. But, but I, but I do think that it is a really good point um, and, and points out the differences between the two. But do you think that it's, it's speciesist to, be relieved at the the death of a human that has killed a lot of humans or caused a lot of humans to die versus a human that has caused a lot of animals to die. But again, I feel like the, the difference is that when we're talking about a human that's caused a lot of humans to die, like in my mind, I'm thinking of your Donald Trump's and your Hitler's <laughs> and, and like, I, I, I still feel like those two people and and other examples similar to those like that's that's like what they represent and like that's what they are known for versus i still feel like anthony bourdain does not in himself represent animal suffering and death in such a significantly greater amount than the average meat eater yeah than the average person that eats animals i don't think that i don't think like if it was someone who I'm trying, like, I don't even know if there is an, I can't think of an example off the top of my head of someone like that for 
animals. Like someone that was like, this is my job to to kill and make as many animals suffer as possible as I can. Like if someone if it was something like that, then I think I would I would be relieved when they were gone and, and were not doing that anymore. Like like it's like someone like that I feel like seems in my mind this 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 fictitious person that I'm creating in my mind. I'm creating someone that to me is like evil. And like you said, Andy, before, like the, th- the things that that Donald Trump is doing at the, the border separating the families, it's it's evil. And like these things that are evil. I think that. That's why people, you know, th- like when people celebrate when they are no longer alive, like I feel like it's justified then because they, these are these evil people doing these things versus someone that is more complicated than that. That is not just purely evil that has, that has, that had good qualities as well as the bad qualities. And I feel like it's, it makes it much more difficult to be like, yes, I'm glad this person is gone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a a sentiment that I've seen expressed from multiple people that sort of have posted their own little tribute to him is this feeling of like the possibility for Anthony Bourdain to become vegan. Like a lot of people said this to me and it's, it's interesting because his words do not really convey this. The only thing that sort of half conveys it is this stuff about the impossible burger, like maybe helping world hunger. Um, But I I personally don't really see it, but a lot of people said like they felt like he would get it eventually. Like he was such a smart, thoughtful, considerate guy in other aspects of his life that they felt it was only a matter of time before he, he got why veganism was a thing and that he would embrace it at some point. And so some of the sadness that people are expressing is sadness over the loss of that potential. Which was, I don't know, it's kind of like interesting to me because it's not something that I got from him. But I get, I feel that way about other, you know, celebrities that I really like or people that I think are really thoughtful in, in how they, you know, conduct themselves and, and, op- and like navigate through the world. That I'm like, it's a matter of time before they go vegan. It's going to happen. I think <laughs> what you said about his response to the Impossible Burger, to me, it did feel like. Like, oh, he's changed his views about veganism because I read that and he wasn't just like immediately bashing vegans like it seems like he used to. And I I thought like, wow, he's really changed. He's he's just like disagreeing with them instead of just completely hating them. Yeah. Is his immediate response. But that's an interesting perspective. I empathize with it. I also wonder if it's like, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like go to his funeral and go to his family and be like, I'm so sorry that he never went vegan. Like that's such a, that's such a difficult loss. But then again, uh, then again, you know, uh, the unfortunate truth is that people are dying every, you know, every one, every two seconds. And I'm not going to like, I, I cannot feel sad for everyone or else I would live a terribly miserable existence. So it's like I will feel sad for those that are that are you know that I have some sort of relationship with in in any aspect or any any meaning of that word but at the same time I do feel like it's kind of weird to exploit someone like that you know Yeah. Well, you know it's interesting Paul. 
if yes. the day before his death he announced that he was going vegan, like every vegan would be would be like posting. I, I maybe maybe not. My assumption is every vegan would be celebrating that. And most vegans would be celebrating that, and and most vegans would post like a favorable thing about his death. Yeah. I think you're right. E- either as like genuine, like, oh, we're so glad that he did, or just sort of trying to capitalize on like a trending news story. It's like, oh, this guy, everyone that loves, by the way, he just went vegan and he saw the light, but it doesn't undo all the other stuff that he said and all the attitudes he released into the world. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that, you know, people can change and most of us were not vegan at one point. So like maybe he would have gone Maybe he would have gone vegan. Maybe he wouldn't have. But I don't know. To me, that seems like a uh, a weird thing to be sad about. But then again, who am I? Who am I to judge Andy? <laughs> like I, I don't. I'll say this. I don't think that because I doubt that the people that have those feelings are probably not going to those you know that he was close to and his relatives and his friends and saying that to them because of that. I'm sure that those sentiments are harmless. So I guess if they're harmless, then like I said, who am I to judge if they want to post about that versus I I do think that uh, capitalizing on someone's death to be like, Oh good. Like I'm glad this person is gone. So that animals are going to stop suffering. It's like, I, I think that that's kind of a shitty thing to say. Yeah. And I think that has negativity to it. So yeah. That's my feelings about it, Andy. All right. Well, I think we could probably leave it there. I would I would love to hear what everyone else out there has to say about this. Please send your thoughts and prayers to thebeardedvegans at gmail.com and, and let us know how are you feeling about all this? Are you relieved that he has died? Do you think it's insensitive that people are expressing that relief uh, or celebrating it even? Um, send us an email. Let us know what you think. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. So, Andy, what do you got coming up? Oh, my next event is June 30th in Chicago, Illinois. It's the Vegandale Food and Drink Festival. Should be a fun time. And then my next event after that, Paul, July 14th, mm-hmm. Atlantic City <gasps> Vegan Food Festival, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Two events away? Two events away. I, there's Actually, I might be squeezing another one in there, but I have not officially confirmed it, so I will not <laughs> announce it yet. Uh, yeah, so that should be really fun. That's July 14th. We're doing our live podcast time and topic TBA. July 21st, Compassion Fest in Hampton, Connecticut. Are you still going to be in Connecticut at that point? When is it? July 21st. I believe I will be, Andy. All right. Maybe we'll get a guest appearance from Paul at that one. Uh, <laughs> July 28th and 29th, I'll be at the Veg Fest, Colorado, in Broomfield, Colorado, which is real close to Denver. And I'm speaking on a panel there with Ginny Messina and JL Fields about food and body shaming. Same weekend, Paul, you're doing the old Jimmy Jam. The Jimmy Jam. Jimmy Jam at Skylands Animal Sanctuary in New Jersey. So uh, July 29th, July right? 29th. And yeah, that's all the stuff. I got a bunch of things in August, September, October, November. Uh, so yeah, head over to compassionco.com. It's compassionco.com. If you're looking for the dates, deeds, links on that, at all of the events that I just listed, just find me or Paul behind the compassion company table. Look for the bright green tablecloth and all the vegan shirts and say, what's up beardo. We'll hook you up with a button and or sticker. Very nice, Andy. 
Oh, Paul, you know, it looks like we actually have some late breaking news. Uh, I don't Ooh. know if it's just someone eavesdropping on us recording, but uh, Sentience Politics actually launched another petition in Switzerland. Oh, yeah? All they need is 100,000 signatures, and this will go to a vote with their the population of Switzerland. Uh, what they're trying to do is change the country motto to the following seven words. We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. Yeah, definitely. I think that <clears throat> still very phlegmy. Campaign launched to abolish factory farming in Switzerland. Switzerland. Uh, let me read a little bit from. <laughs> you like that? I did. Eight million people. Is that like New York City? What is? Yes. Yeah, New York City, 8.5 million people. So more I people in New York. said that earlier in this episode, Paul. Did you? Yes, I said it's slightly less than New York City. Oh, I think that was when I was doing that in my head. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. But the impression that I'm getting from yes. this, this article <laughs> is that I never had to knock on wood. <laughs> Sorry, someone keeps literally just opening and closing the garage door and it's like vibrating this entire room. It's a ghost. Yeah, like he's certain for me. I have the same feeling. Like I was basically, I'm like a neutral party in this. I'm Switzerland in this, or is that Sweden? <laughs> I think that's Switzerland. I think it's Switzerland. I'm Switzerland with a hundred thousand signature votes in this whole thing. Like, <laughs> like I, I you know, I'm not a shitty joke. I think so too. <laughs> I just tapped the microphone at the end to be like, hope this was recording to the microphone, and it was the whole time. <laughs>